years from now, you know, students at the University of okay, Kansas so are going to be. Can, we can start. Can we? Yeah. Okay. All right. We're talking with Rod Dierman in his office at Covington and Burley on March 1st, 2007. Uh, Rod, uh, let's talk about your pre-Dole life for a bit. I mean, how, how did you come to uh, work for uh, no Senator Dole? What did you do before? Uh, I, uh, when I got out of law school in 1973, I graduated from the University of Virginia. I joined Covington and Burling as an associate, uh, and I worked uh, here in the Washington office. About a year before I joined uh, Dole in the Senate Finance Committee, uh, I was asked to join a little group of young lawyers uh, that Dole had set up to sort of advise, so we went up there a couple of times, both Bob Lighthizer and myself. Bob Lighthizer, who was then at Covington or Burling, was a friend of mine, and so he and I yeah, were part of this group. When Senator Dole uh, saw that he was going to become ranking uh, Republican on the Senate Finance Committee, he decided he wanted to hire some uh, young lawyers from from one of the law firms. I think Elizabeth Dole probably called her Harvard Law School classmate Bob Saylor, and he suggested, hey, why don't you look at Bob Lighthizer? Hmm. We had been part of this uh, little group, and then Bob, when he started talking with Senator Dole about going over there, he was a litigator, and so he and I were vast, close friends. And he said, gee, I'd like to bring somebody over that knows about taxes, and that was me. And okay. so he called me. I was uh, actually out with a client in Cincinnati when he called. And I had been at Covington, didn't particularly have any plans to leave, wasn't looking for another job. But always in the back of my mind, or I'm right here in Washington, that at some point I thought I would like to go into government, and this was an opportunity. Somebody calls and said, hey, do you want to go to the Finance Committee? So ultimately I thought about it, and I said yes. Well, now let me, let me backtrack a little bit. This informal advisory group of lawyers, you remember roughly when, because he would have been in his first term. Yeah. I mean, he had the 74... Had he been reelected? Yeah, this this would have been in uh, probably seventy uh, eight. Oh, so this was after the oh, vice presidential race. Yeah, it was after the vice okay. presidential race, and I don't know quite why he did it. And 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 Sheila was on the staff then because I remember meeting with with Sheila. And what was she doing then? She was on his personal staff doing health care. Okay. She was a. Uh, a legislative assistant. All right. And so we had, you know, it wasn't like it was a terribly formal group. And it, right. I mean, we met with him a couple of times, and that was, that was it. And then this sort of lightning struck, and uh, uh, the staff was being put together. So now, did, um, so did he become ranking member after the 78 midterm elections? That's right. So it was, uh, I left. Uh, Covington in January of 79 to join the Finance Committee staff. Well, the month I went to work for him. Too. Yeah, so, so and, and, and at that point, uh, Richard Armitage was uh, his chief of staff, 
And uh, tell me about Rich. And, and, and it was kind of funny because Armitage had been there for a while, and both Bob and I were uh, newbies on the hill, didn't know what was going on. And Armitage was very kind to try to give it, get us some tips about how to work with Dole and the hill and and that sort of thing. And so we talked with him quite extensively, and it was quite helpful. But on one occasion, we were both summoned over to uh, Senator Dole's office, and Armitage's office, uh, office was right, right in, right before the uh, the sort of the threshold, right before you got into the senator's office, and the senator was on the phone. So we ducked in to talk to Armitage, and we were chatting with him. And then when Dole gets off the phone, he comes out and sees us talking with him, and then. He calls Bob and I into the office and shuts the door and said, don't talk to him. He doesn't know anything. Now, <laughs> and, that, and that sounds quintessential dull. But how, and, how and, did, and that, that was problematic for Bob and I because he, uh, he you know, he might have been in, in the doghouse with Dole, but he was actually very helpful in, in integrating. So we had to sort of have him come over to our office or, or sort of sneak around when Dole wasn't there to, to did, talk did, with him. Yeah, did he, so he knew that you had in fact been advised not to talk yeah, to him? Yeah, we might have told him. I yeah. Don't know, you know, sort of. What do you think Dole meant by that? I, I, my sense is that Dole had lost confidence in him. And, uh, you know, as, yeah. you know, Dole, when he came to a conclusion that uh, they'd lost confidence in somebody, he basically didn't want to have anything to do with him. Dole, in, you know, for a guy that has had a reputation of being tough, yeah, he is a person that just abhors personal confrontation. Yeah, uh, doesn't you know? Does you know? By and large, doesn't yell at anybody. Yeah, uh, and indeed, if somebody wanted to. Uh, talk with him about unhappiness or whatever, he didn't want to have that. And indeed, <laughs> if he were mad at somebody on the finance committee, he would never call them in and chew them out. He would call Bob or Sheila or I or all of us in and complain about that and expect us to go yell at the person. And sometimes the complaints were uh, justified and we would go talk to the person. Other times, I would think it was just a momentary peak, and that would hurt the person's feelings. And I basically would just suck it up, and you know, uh, yeah. never mention it. Uh, Did you have a sense that he had informational sources that were surprisingly broad? Or I don't know. Uh, you know, from time to time, you know, he would be irritated by something, and sometimes justifiably so. Yeah. You know that. Uh, what would irritate the, him? You know, if the if the staff work wasn't very thorough, or you know, and and it took a while for him to have confidence in people, and once he had confidence in, he would delegate a lot of responsibility if he had confidence in you. But before he had that. Uh, then you were sort of an unknown quantity. On probation, in a sense. Yes. And if he were mad at me, which uh, or Sheila or Bob, which uh, would occur from time to time for, for either justifiably or not, uh, then he would basically put you in the icebox and he just wouldn't talk with you. And if he did, you know, sometimes he would say cutting things to me. 
because I guess he was comfortable enough to say that. It would he knew that I wouldn't react. Yeah, it's almost it. a badge of honor. He he would never really uh, overtly apologize. Uh, I remember Senator Simpson would sometimes sort of blow up, but he was always famous for coming back and sort of saying, "Geez, I was on the outside." Yeah, terribly sorry. That wasn't Senator Dole's style. He would more likely, after he'd said something or you were in the icebox, his way of sort of making up to you, he'd come by and say something. You're like, hey, what's up? What's going right. on? And, yeah. You know, so you knew you were back out of the icebox and, and things were better. He uh, obviously wasn't, at least with me, ever bad that long. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he got over it, but, but the, the notion that he was this ferocious guy that was, uh, difficult to deal with was quite the, sort of the contrary in real life. He just didn't like personal confrontation. Did he evolve in any of those aspects over the, the long period of time that you work with and well, or knew him? Uh, at least, I, I don't know, maybe... He didn't involve so much as the relationship of uh, Bob and Sheila and I with him that he became more and more comfortable with you, and so that uh, uh, the yeah, the opportunities for him being mad at you or misunderstanding or not having confidence mm. in you in one way or the other mm. uh, came about. Early on, I remember he was often sort of disparaging, and there were. Sort of famous uh, dull quotes like, uh, "Doesn't anybody read the paper anymore, or around here?" That says, you know, if there was something in the paper that he would mention, and uh, and he would mention it to a staff person who hadn't read it, that would irritate him. You know that they weren't up on the subject area that they were supposed to be yeah. following, and something appeared in the Washington Post or New York Times that the person hadn't seen. Yeah, and or if the, if he came into a room and there wasn't anybody there, it's, uh, you know, you could shoot a cannon through here and not hit anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but you think of the dichotomy because there's this odd sort of situation where, you know, he hires people, right, and then as you say, is want to disparage their. Well, one their, of the things that we determined, and 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 got the ability to uh, do the hiring at the Senate Finance Committee without having him doing that. Because really? I'm not sure that uh, hiring was one of his greatest talents. And so we, by and large, had a, he gave us enough leeway that we could hire the people that we wanted. And I thought that we were able to put together really an extraordinary staff of people, largely from the private sector. Uh, and uh, you know, there, those uh, professionals that worked on the finance committee staff uh, really have gone on to distinguished careers in in law or yeah. government. Or let me go back a bit to what you said about Rich Armitage uh, giving you some tips on. Right. How to handle Dolan. Right. I mean, what kinds of things... Well, I mean, it's so he, long ago that I don't yeah, remember. Okay. I really yeah. don't remember yeah. the tips. But I thought that they were very insightful at the time yeah. and was eager to know because we didn't really know. And we very 
quickly found out it was treacherous territory, that, uh, that this wasn't uh, quite as straightforward as being in law practice, that there were, you know, there was the sort of the Betty and Joanne uh, well, the sort of long knives that you might find in your back, and and of course, we had both come in, and and uh, you know you have Jack Nutter and Sheila who had been sort of on the staff, and all of a sudden here are these young hotshots coming in, sort of moving above. We had uh, Packwood staff. That this is was a real eye-opener because we were trying to increase the budget for the Republican staff and so we put together a budget request that would allow us to hire a few more people and uh, we found out that Packwood had quietly tried to sabotage that. How so? Uh, and why? I mean he went to, the, that, that was decided by the Rules Committee, he went uh, or had John Colvin go to the Rules Committee and say hey don't do that. Don't give him the increase. And why? And why? Why I would think he that it, he he didn't want to have. Uh, he had always wanted to have the finance committee balkanized so that the members would get the staff. And to, to the as opposed extent to the that the, the chairman and the built up this uh, and ranking members built up the mm. staff, it gave more control, relatively speaking. Now. He changed his view on this when he became chairman, I'm sure. <laughs> but at that time, he was constantly trying to get John Colvin put on the payroll and trying to uh, <laughs> trying to uh, have subcommittee staff actually have members be able to hire subcommittee staff. Yeah. And, and the finance committee had always been very leanly staffed with no subcommittee staff. And this was this lean staffing and, and very small budget relative to the responsibilities was a finance committee tr tradition that went back actually before Russell Long, who was chairman for 14 years, to uh, Harry Bird Sr. Mm. And, and they mm. always had very lean staffs, mm. and, and that sort of pattern continued. Let me go back again because you were talking about um, sort of discovering that this was not altogether what it seemed to be. Uh, did you harbor any reservations? at all coming out of the 76 campaign and the deserved or not, in many cases, negative press that Dole had received, you know, and the whole notion of, you know, the Democrat wars and the the, the, the overtly partisan Was I approach. reluctant I mean, to go? Was, no, yeah, not, no, not at all. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't remember any reluctance, uh, you know. Uh, he seemed like a uh, energetic, bright guy. About two years ago, I think Bob and I were going over with with Sheila over to his office, and then we were going to go. It was when Reagan died. I think I think that might have been the time. But Bob and I were walking into his office, and Bob said to me, "You realize we're both now the same age as Bob Dole was when we went to work for him." <laughs> now at that time, he seemed like a pretty old guy. <laughs> And that we probably, he might have been, uh, that might have been a year or two ago, so we were, we were 57 or 58, uh, or maybe even 56, but he, he was about that age. What, was it assumed that you were working for a guy who wanted to run for president in 80? Or was that yeah, part I mean, of the equation was, or the background? No, no, I mean, not, that wasn't 
you know, gee, I want to go to work for this guy because I want to get involved in a presidential campaign. Right. Not at all. I went to work for him because he was taking over the uh, the ranking job on finance. Uh, I was interested in the finance issues, and, and he was a bright, energetic guy. Do you remember what you were paid when you were first yeah, hired? Well, well, that's an interesting thing because... Uh, uh, I've sort of reflected on that with young lawyers here. Uh, we pay young lawyers. Uh, we've just raised the starting salary to, to lawyers coming out of law school to $145,000 yeah. a year. At that time, I came to Covington. I was paid 16500 a year and thought that was a, a very grand salary. Right. By the time that I went up to the Hill, maybe I was paid thirty five. And, and yeah. moving over there was pretty much a lateral move. Yeah. Now, if you imagine that a young lawyer coming out of law schools at 145, it's very difficult. I mean, it's it's yeah. punishing financially yep. for them to uh, go to the hill. They still do. Uh, Were there discrepancies at all between um, uh, salaries? I mean, uh, any difference between what Russell Long paid people and Bob Dole, or uh, is it all pretty much? No, uh, no, pretty it much was. The same? Uh, and, and and since I was involved in the hiring of the finance committee, yeah, the, there were people that Russell Long had had for a long time, and they were paid relatively more. One of the things that had occurred to Bob and I is that while we could have increased our salaries up to the maximum, didn't seem like that made sense. You know, if we didn't have to have it, we were coming in fairly laterally, that there was actually... Uh, a good thing to be below the margin. And when we were hiring people from the private sector, you'd be hiring them at, uh, you know, looking at where they were before and what it took to get them there. And that resulted in, in some unevenness that you tried to sort out over time. But I never, I always viewed it as uh, my philosophy that I wanted to hire people at the price that I needed to buy them, not give them a big boost just to equalize them with somebody else. Sure. I figure that if they worked out, I would equalize them over time yep. uh, after people had demonstrated their... Uh, Talking about some qualities, uh, before I forget, there is a theory that he is particularly for a politician, an, an unusually shy person. Do you think there's anything to that? Oh, uh, very much so. I mean, he was not a person. I always had a very formal relationship with him. It was a warm relationship with him, I, I, you know. But he, he kept his distance from most everybody, uh, I, you know, and, and sort of a... Yeah, uh, not much of uh, a touchy-feely, let-your-hair-down kind of guy. And uh, he is gregarious and, uh, and extroverted in one sense, but very, in the core of it, sort of very introverted. And, uh, Do you think he's trying to protect something? Yeah, well, you know, I, I th you know but I, I don't know that it's like a dark secret for no, no, but I, but I think that he just likes to have that, uh, uh, you know, doesn't like to have everything laid out. Right. Uh, 
I've often wondered because to so many people the whole relationship with Nixon is baffling. But in, in a lot of ways they, they have a whole lot of similarities. Right. And, and uh, uh, the whole the famous Nixon line that he was an introvert in an extrovert's profession. And I've often thought that some of that at least applies to Dole. And, it, and you know, uh, th there are other very introverted guys. Uh, Jack Danforth mm -hmm. always struck me as a guy that was uh, sort of an odd guy to be in his, I mean, the idea that he would go out and shake hands with people at a ballpark you know, Dole was much more natural at that, and right. Dole really knows how to work a room, and and so he maybe he trained himself, and maybe it was unnatural, but he's good at it. Yeah, you know he and but he that goes does, back to the Nixon parallel. And I and, mean, Nixon was someone who was not naturally gifted, but but he but, trained himself but to do worked it because Nixon than was a very else, disciplined so. guy. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, uh, Senator Dole is a very disciplined guy. But for all the years that I've known him and all of the work that I've done with him, uh, I call Elizabeth Elizabeth, and I call Senator Dole <laughs> Senator Dole. Right. And just that, sure. that, that maybe symbolizes something. <laughs> Tell that me I, something. That he's not Bob to me. Which and, is and in part because he was... He's uh, roughly my father's age. Right. He's he's actually uh, two years younger than my father. Yeah. And uh, and Elizabeth may be a little closer in age. And, yeah. And maybe when I came close to Elizabeth, I was more mature myself. Uh, I, we're, I'm going to leapfrog here, but I mean the, the this this whole notion of discipline, because in many ways you're right. He is extraordinarily disciplined, and yet, you know. Running for president, preparing for debate, that discipline seemed to to vanish. Or yeah, at least... He'd, he'd find himself a way to get distracted from it. He's a guy who really likes to be moving from thing to thing. He's kind of like a shark that he doesn't want to stay still. And... Uh, he, he, he's, or a hummingbird? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that, I mean a, he, yeah. he 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 does like to flip from thing to thing, and 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 is a. Uh, uh, but it's not craves, skimming craves. the surface. No, I mean, no, he craves he, the action, and he likes to be in the middle of action. And I don't think he likes to. He's not a uh, let's sit down and deeply reflect and study stuff. Whereas, in contrast, Elizabeth. If you give her a briefing book, yeah. she will devour the briefing book and with that flawless handwriting have notes and follow-up questions. And she she is much more of a... Do they complete each other? In, in a in great way. She is the most non-oral learner. If I sort of said, okay, there, there are going to be three important things to remember, she would say, Rod, would you send me a memo? Yeah. Because she doesn't pick it up that way. Yeah. He is a veral, a very oral learner. You okay. could say, okay, Senator, there are three things and four subparts. He'd listen to it. He'd get it. Yeah. And he's very quick that way. Yeah. And and maybe sort of uh, reading memos is not the way he accesses information. And so sitting down with a briefing book and saying, we're going to pour through this briefing book is really not the way 
that you should have prepared him. So that it may but be. Again, to the outsider, if you want to be president more than anything you've ever wanted, then you're going to bend, you, you, you know, you're going to do whatever it takes. And <laughs> preparing for a debate would seem to be yeah, a pretty be. logical right. necessity. Well, um, when he, you know, preparing for a big speech, uh, when he actually did that, which he did on a few occasions, and maybe it was the 96 convention speech where he actually practiced it, yeah. he was pretty good. Yeah, That may have been the best big speech that I ever saw him give. There are very few. There are some that where he didn't, didn't do the preparation and he wasn't as good as a, in a big speech well, as he was in a it, small room. It almost goes beyond that. It's, there's a, a certain contempt for a text, it, it, it's it's as if there's a kind of confidence that look I can do look, I don't need this I can do better just yeah. talking you know and in a room and, full of people and that's where he lo that's where he was naturally at his best right to sort of talk about what's going on extemporaneously he was very good at that yeah and it's a whole different skill. with humor as a weapon right and you know. It's a different skill to deliver a formal speech to an audience of thousands and the television audience, and I think that required more work on his part, and and I, I don't think he liked to do that. How much of it, too? I mean, it's all speculation. I've often thought part of part of him rationalized this as there's something artificial or even phony, theatrical. I mean, there's some, I mean, he could, for example, he could step back and admire Reagan's ability in the abstract while part of him would also think, this, that's, that's this, is, this is, exactly, acting, yeah, acting. exactly. He's just giving a speech. Well, and, I'm and, in the and, trenches. And, and, you know, what would reinforce that is that, uh, that he could, he could, Get in the details and the weeds on, on legislation, cut deals, you know, understand that, and and uh, to a much greater extent than than Reagan, and so I could see you'd sort of say, yeah, he's got that ability, but he doesn't know what's going on, right? Uh, you know, he's only hitting the top of the waves, whereas uh, I know the uh, the substance of what I'm talking about. I had occasion to actually see how talented Reagan was there. Uh, uh, when we were doing the windfall profit tax, uh, uh, the idea arose that we would take a group of independent oil guys in to see the president. And I think Elizabeth was then public liaison and arranged it. And uh, the meeting was for like 11 o'clock in the morning. and. Uh, uh, at nine o'clock in the morning, we got a call over there. God, we have to have some talking points. So I sat down, and you know, quickly wrote up some talking points, faxed them over to uh, to the White House. Reagan comes in at eleven o'clock, sits down with these guys, and he's got some note cards. But he sits down and delivers my words as if. He was just thinking that morning about and, and you know, verbatim. Yep. And, and I thought that's just incredible that that I was able to send those over. They put them on cards. He looked at them. He memorized it. 
and then spoke them uh, as his own words with you know, all some jokes intermixed, yep. but uh, I thought, what a talent that is. You think people who don't have that talent resent it, envy it? Well, I am. I'm one that doesn't have that talent. <laughs> he did better with my words than I would have done with my own. Right. If I had those cards, he yeah. he was much better with them. So I envy it at least. Yeah. Whether I resented, you know, I wasn't in a position to resent them. So. Yeah. Tell me when you when you go to work for him initially, um, you're on the finance committee. What is there? We'll get to finance committee and instruction in a moment. But what was the relationship? Because you mentioned Betty and Joanne. What was the relationship between the personal staff and committee staff? We basically uh, built a staff that was separate and apart. And uh, how large? I mean, roughly. Well, I mean, when we first started, uh, it was uh, Bob Lighthizer, myself, Sheila Burke, Jack Nutter, and I think that was it. And we all occupied one office. Really? Uh, and then Sheila wanted to get a White House, uh, or a Robert Wood Johnson fellow, this health guy, a fellow. Uh, that, uh, this was the minority staff. This is the minority the staff. Roughly, how, how would the majority staff be much larger? Yeah, because at that time, the minority was given it was most a third of the budget and huh. the uh, the staff budget, and and so the it was probably more than twice as big. The majority staff. Now, the majority staff wasn't as large as you as Dole ultimately developed it to be, because on the tax side. Most of the t staff work was done by the Joint Committee on Taxation, and the uh, the Long really didn't had a had a guy that did ESOPs and a couple, but the they weren't as serious a tax staff of tax lawyers as uh, as Dole ultimately. That, because developed. Long had because different priorities. Long, well, no, Long Long just relied the joint on the Joint Committee to do the tax oh, work by okay. and large, and and had. Some people with some specialists. When when Dole hired Bob and I, Long looked at that and said, "I want to get one of those uh, big downtown law firm guys, really? and I'll do one better. I'll get somebody who's even more senior." And hired a guy. And I'll think of his name yeah. in a second, but he was actually a fairly senior partner in uh, in a Cleveland law firm. So there was a, a bit of a competition. Yeah, and going. so this guy was hired. Now, this guy, who was, to give you a sense of his age, had been a college classmate of Paul Volcker's. Oh, And wow. so he was quite yeah. senior. I mean, he was probably pushing <coughs> 60 at the time. Uh, but he never figured out the hill. From the front to the back, he he was a a very good practicing tax lawyer, but never really adapted to uh, to sort of politics or, or yep. the, and and he had done some work for Standard of Ohio and said he thought he ought to recuse himself from the crude oil windfall profit tax, which was the major thing that we were doing. Yeah, and he had a sort of reformer bend uh, or bent. 
yep. to him, and I remember he had some poor junior person do a study of the attribution rules in the code. That is, uh, you know, whether if if you were prohibited from doing something or uh, consolidated with your wife or kids or how big those attributions would be. And there are a bunch of different rules, different attribution rules for different purposes in the code, you know, 20 or 30 of them. And so he did a big study and wanted to uniform, the, and, and he, it was like a 60 or 70 page paper. And he had no idea, realized that no one on the Hill would read a 70 page paper. It was pretty well useless. And so this was a major thing that, that uh, this guy's name was Ed Hawkins. I think he's still alive, but yeah. uh, he's retired from from practice. You, you, you said something that intrigued me because you, you you cited him as someone who who sort of didn't really get the hill. What, what do you th- as someone who at one point was a neophyte and obviously got the hill over time? What are the pitfalls? What are the common misunderstandings or? Uh, uh, misplaced expectations, you think? Uh, well, at least then, in terms. Well, I mean, of you know, I came from a yeah, from a rigorous law practice. Uh, I had to retrain myself to write because I was used mm. to writing much more lengthy documents, yeah. much more precise legal writing, and uh, what I had to learn was to be able to. Uh, to produce something that wouldn't be described by Dole as a staff memo and incomprehensible, and there's was that there's, a, a term thrown yeah. around? Yeah, it's a staff memo. Can't you know rewrite it so that anybody can understand it? And and there yeah. actually is a talent of taking technical subjects, yeah, you know, tax subjects, and yeah. making them accessible to somebody who isn't steeped in the code, and to some extent, it's to explain the jargon or to uh, get rid of the jargon, and the other is just to explain the concepts in a way so that uh, people can get it. And that that was something that I had to learn. And I assume but that you was have to, you have to learn. Dole that didn't conduct a tutorial on that. No, it was. No. You know, it's, 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 he he did uh, in the. Sink in the sense swim. that uh, when something got rejected, you figured out uh, how to make it work, and so. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was a trial and error. Okay, yeah. learning, uh, learning from your mistakes, uh, and the uh, another thing that uh, the, the the hill is, is the best place for self starters because often you don't get much instruction. You just have to figure out what needs to be done and do it. I mean, one of the things that it was a little perplexing for me when you sort of say, okay, here's a stack of letters from constituents, write a response, and you sort of think, I have no idea what Dole's position is on this. (laughs) And so to try to figure out, you know, in time you would know his predilections, you'd have a feel for even if it was a subject matter he'd never dealt with, how he would come out in it. But when you sort of start it, you sort of think, God, how am I going to do this? You know, when he was in the that, House, I mean, he's famous for, I mean, constituent mail was a, a big deal. I mean, it was taken very seriously. It was all answered. 
I mean, for years he answered it himself. Um, right. Was that a, I mean, no, no, carry over? I mean, he he would like to have had that, but uh, to the extent that he was relying on us, yeah, and he was on certain stuff. I can say we weren't uh, as always as diligent about that because you get stuck, you sure. know, you're writing bills or whatever, and you know, constituent mail was the lowest priority. And I invented a technique that I shared with others on the staff of if you have a piece of mail that's three or four months old, embarrassingly late to answer it. And so I would wait till something happened on the subject matter that they had written about. Hmm. And then I would write a letter that said, in view of your interest in this, I thought you would be delighted to hear that we've reported out a bill that does this and that. Right. And so the constituent would sort of think, God, Bob Dole was thinking about what I said all of this time. Right. And and that was a... uh, in view of your past interest letter, uh, yep. was a was a way to uh, more uh, delicately deal deal with uh, an overdue letter rather than uh, sort of just writing a subject matter. Somebody saying, "Yeah, I wrote to him four months ago." It doesn't that long. You made it raises because obviously you were on committee staff, but still, did you get a sense of constituent service and how he defined it and how Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and people with tax issues would call in, and one of the things that I did, uh, you know, w- w- there were uh, virtually no Kansans on the, on the uh, Finance Committee staff. Uh, I would tell people we hired on the basis of quality. <laughs> was that a sensitive subject? Well, uh, now... When people would call in, I would people would start to say, "Hey, are you from Kansas?" I would say, "No, I was born in Oklahoma," which is in fact true. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I also kept in my desk drawer, in the folding drawer, a map of state map of Kansas folded out. So when somebody called me, yeah, I would find where they were and say, "Oh, that's down near Wichita." They'd say, "Where are you from?" Oh, that's down near Wichita. So that I would, uh, I would fill in what I didn't know. If it was a town I didn't know, I would find it on the map so that I could uh, relate to the constituents a little more. And the the fact that I was in fact born in Oklahoma made people feel yep. somewhat better about me. Sure. Than if I sort of said, "Gee, I've, I've sort of spent more most of my life on the East Coast," or yeah, or I've had a peripatetic life. I spent more time in uh, Germany than I have in Kansas. Do you have a theory? I mean, it's a big question. I mean, that whole famous famous speech, you know, in in uh, in '96, or you know, uh, when he left the Senate and he just just a man, and you know, he go home, and I think he left out where home was. Right. Um. Um. Was he define himself as a Kansan? Yeah, and, I think. And how he, did that? I think manifest uh, itself. Or? Yeah, you know, I, I think that's where his his roots were. He really cared about that, even though. Uh, I think everybody has their own sort of concept of what they are, whether it's real or not. But mm. it's in the core of it. I I was born in Oklahoma, but. Uh, my my dad was a career army officer, so I I lived usually a year 
in a place and then moved on. I went to ten different schools, <coughs> high school, uh, uh, and so uh, people will say, "Where are you from?" Yeah, and that's always a bit of a right. <laughs> puzzling question. Yeah. Because I, but I, there was I mean, no question you, he would have no question of where he was from. Did you, for example, did you ever travel with him in Kansas? I mean, oh yeah, in, yeah, I did. see him in his native. And, and I'll tell you, Major. I viewed it as as an important responsibility of mine, and that's why I got the map. And uh, is I understood that he had to get reelected, and and that constituents were important. And I, even though I was not on the personal staff, I tried to tried to make you know deal with. Kansas people's problems. There were when I was in the leader's office. Uh, I can recall on on at least one painful occasion that uh, that he was just not happy with uh, what the personal staff was doing, and he told me. Oh, I can remember two occasions where he said, "Rod, I want you to fix it." And that was was a it little, a constituent matter? It was. You know, I'll, I'll tell you. One of them was. Whether we're going to close a base, mm. so it was a base on alignment issue, and it was supposed to be something being handled by the personal office, and he wasn't satisfied that it was getting done. And so then, then here I am, the chief of staff to the leader's office, and and I don't, I forget whether it's Pettit or somebody else that's was over there, and that always was a, I, I didn't go out of my way to mess in their business, uh, yeah. and I I wouldn't let them mess in my business so it, this this was an awkward situation when that happened the other occasion was we were doing uh, a, a bill that involved uh, Corps of Engineers water projects and Dahl said I want to have a water project and Chris Bolton was then the chief of staff and she was supposed to be working on a, a water project and it wasn't happening and he said Rod I want you to make this happen. I want a water project, and so. Then, <laughs> Did he say why he wanted a water project? Because uh, you know, I think everybody else was getting them, and he <laughs> sort of think he wasn't doing his constituents uh, right if he wasn't getting it done, and so, so I had to interject myself in that, and that, of course, is something that I hated to do. To be perfectly honest, to, you to have to have interaction with that particular chief of staff. I understand. Uh, uh, did you it, did did he get the water project? Uh, I, I'll tell you, I don't. What I remember best about it is going over. She had been working on it a long time, and there was some central Kansas thing. And I said, "So, Chris, what is this project? Is it a channelization dance?" Right. She said, "I don't know. That that's that's a boy thing," and that just outraged Seriously. me. That outraged me because I thought, you know, look, kind of a reverse sexism. Yeah, too. Oh, yeah. I yeah, mean, that I, I was, I was just outraged by that. Uh, I bet she never said that to Dole. No, but but I, I'll tell you. Shortly after that, I I told Sheila, I said, "You're my interface with Chris. I don't want to ever talk with her again." Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and Sheila hasn't given forgiven me for that. <laughs> Well, that later. Let yeah. me ask you one thing before I forget, yeah. because but the that notion was, that was that was sort of uh, after I was off the finance committee staff. The 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 you, you think of Republican in Kansas, you think of his subsequent reputation, but of course, you know, he had that near death experience in '74. Right. Do you think that lingered in the back of his mind that I mean, he never took anything for granted that you know that could 
come back again. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that's presumably why he, you know, cared about constituent service. He didn't want to get, get so big that, uh, that he forgot the people back home because uh, then he would lose that base. And so he visited back there. And, and I did go with him uh, on trips from time to time and hearings and that sort of thing. Let me ask you, because I think when you, tell me if I'm wrong, I, would would Jim Pearson have been the other senator from Kansas when you started? Might have been right when I wasn't started. wasn't he replaced by Nancy? Yeah. Kessenbaum? Uh, and, 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 uh, it, did you have a sense, because, you know, there's been some gossip over the years that they were sort of culturally and otherwise not terribly close. Yeah, but, I never had any uh dealings with with that and, and really never confronted that because yeah, well, okay. you know Pearson probably didn't have much to do with the finance committee and who and was then it? then Kassebaum came in and then he had really worked hard for her. Yeah. I remember him, him telling me a story once that he was out uh on a Sunday evening doing an event for her. And a question came up about her position or whatever, and so he asked somebody, he said, would you track her down, and I want to ask her about this. And he gets her, and uh, he says, uh, you know, what are you doing? She says, I'm at home. I'm watching the movie The Sting that was on television. And, and he's out there, you know, some little town campaigning for her. <laughs> She's at home. With her feet up watching the I, television. I do wonder, I guess, speculation, the sense that she she led kind of a charmed life. Yeah. That she was good. I mean, she's, yeah. She was and is good. Yeah. But that the stars all aligned. Stars all aligned and she didn't work quite as hard as he did. Yeah. But a few people did. Yeah. Do you think that was one of the things that he judged people by, his work ethic? Oh, I mean, yeah, just, Definitely. I mean, and he had his own sort of prejudices. Uh, uh, you know, he wanted people to work hard, and and, and so he, if you if you were uh, somebody that didn't like to work around the clock, you're probably not going to fit in there uh, in the long run. He didn't like people with beards. He didn't like heavy people. Yeah. Uh, because he thought it meant a lack of self-discipline? Uh, I think that's what it is. But I, I remember once I w went away on vacation and started growing a beard. And uh, he saw me for the first time and he says, what's that? And I said, oh, I'm trying to grow a beard. And he said, don't try so hard. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. Did he ever, and, 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 you know, he was, I mean, dress-wise. Yeah. I mean, he is a stickler. I mean, immaculate. But, you know, it's funny, I don't remember him ever commenting on dress or dress having code dress or codes, anything. whereas Lot has very peculiar dress codes, and, and you, know, you, you can't ever wear uh, blue jeans, and women are supposed to wear stockings, and he had this all spelled out in a memo, which really? is... Really? Okay. Is, yeah, and and yeah. somehow maybe he just led by example or whatever. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, that, that's never been a particular, you know, coming from a law practice where you wore suits or whatever. Was right, not, yeah. Was not a, something that I've much thought about. 
Tell me about Joanne and Betty and the, and the place that they occupied in the, the story. Well, uh, you know, I, I never quite understood that, that dynamic uh, uh, to, to some extent. I just uh, aimed at uh, getting along with everybody that I dealt with and staying out of their way, yeah. not irritating them. I sort of had a sense that uh, when we first went over there, they were sort of, who are these new kids? You know, let's test them. Let's see, how, you know, who the hell do they think they are? But, you know, in time, you know, Betty was always kind of out there, uh, sort of uh, goofy, yeah, <laughs> little, little... Uh, ditzy. Ditzy, yeah. but... Very efficient. Yeah. She knew where every airplane was in, in the United States. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and for all of her ditziness, uh, she ultimately got the job done. She was very protective of him. Yeah. Uh, and, and Joanne uh, was also just hugely devoted to him and uh, uh I think did all of the really dirty work. When some, when, you know, personal confrontation. If if you wanted to have somebody cut off at the knees, Joanne, she was his son of a bitch. Yeah, and 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 could do it and did it well. Did it, yeah, yeah. with with, yeah. with flair and yeah. and panache. Yeah. And 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 the, the the dynamic between the two of them was was uh, sort of hot and cold and yeah, and sometimes explosive and sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and as I say, that was a sort of dynamic that I like to just sort of do our job well, stay out of the way, be physically separated, right. do our own hiring, protect and, our turf, and leave that alone. And yeah, because they weren't they weren't they didn't care about policy, did they? I mean, I no, mean, no, you didn't no. just, Betty uh, and Joanne. They yeah, didn't. they were yeah. not. Uh, um, what was your observation about his use of AAs? Because there sure were a lot of them. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I th- he he had a hard time finding somebody that he liked or uh, that would work. Yeah. And, and that and, raised the question: What do you think he was looking for? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure he knew. Yeah. But he, he usually knew that they, whoever it was, they fell short because. Uh, the you know Armitage, who I think is terrifically able in other respects. Yeah, uh, one would think he would have, but and he may have been there for a long time. I just saw him at the very end, and then you had uh, Andy Lawrence, uh, who came during one of his reelections. Yeah, and. That guy would have lasted a week, but for the fact that he had just gone through another AA, so he kept him on through the election. The guy didn't do anything, and then as soon as the election was over, he was, he was, uh, he was out. And from my standpoint, it was a good thing. Uh, David Chu, uh, I think, was uh, was organized and. Uh, uh, had some potential, but he was star-crossed in that uh, shortly after he came there, some of his best friends who were running his 80 campaign got fired by Dole, and Dole sued them. And mm. so David was in a, uh, you know, these were his best friends. I suspect that he, 
his involvement with them was part of the reason he got hired, and it was uncomfortable that uh, Dole's suing his best friends, and so he left. Yeah. He was also very, is it he or Andy Lawrence was crazy about having phone lines uh, all tangled up, would go around and straighten people's phone lines out, you know, sort of like uh, <laughs> excessive neatniks. That, yeah, uh, oh yeah. You sort of think, yeah, do we have anything else we well, can Tell me about, about, yeah, about? did Dole have any ticks like that, habits, uh, you know, uh, kind of oddities, if you will, of... Uh, Yes. Obsessions, or um, well, I mean, he had plenty of ticks that uh, if you got Jack Nutter was one of the great mimics of uh, of of those things, uh, but you know, there are just a million things that I just sort of think about uh, that were peculiar about Dole. I mean, uh, he is a great coffee drinker. About that much? Can you imagine him saying, "Can you give me about that much?" Except for this hand. Let him say, "You're holding your fingers about two inches or two inches apart." Yeah. A, yeah, just about that much. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just uh, sort of dull expressions. That uh, did you sit around? Because God knows other people have, and 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 and, and psychoanalyze. No. And I mean, particularly the war and the aftermath and all of that. I mean, what is that? What's your take on all of that and what it what it well, means I mean, to the uh, you know, mature adult? Uh, you know, having having had all of that exposure to him, uh, you know, from time to time I'd be irritated with him. He'd do stuff that I'd think, God, that's terrible. But uh, uh, he, he was somebody that, that I admired then and tremendously admire now. So, I, you know... What what um, there were a lot of things that amazed me about him that mm -hmm. uh, that I thought were really admirable, but his having survived that war experience made him one of the most resilient people I've ever known. That he could suffer the defeat in '96 when he could see you know uh, th that was only one defeat or or uh, suffering. The defeat in '88, where uh, the pollster, in, when I was in the room with him, sort of said, "We're going to win New Hampshire," and then that was uh, Craig that Dick Worthwin. Yeah, and and, and 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 he turned to Bob and I and said, "This guy never says this," but the numbers he was looking at, we were upticking. We just won uh, Iowa, and then to suffer that, and then to go back, I mean, well, because of that, having sort of uh, pulled himself out uh, of uh, presumably the depression, uh, that is, mental depression of, of being a broken person after the war and and, uh, and developing that resilience, you know, he managed to just move on. How much, though, it, there's also this theory, counter theory in a sense, that the experience also bred in him a kind of uber independence that um, later contributed to his impossibility to manage, to be managed, rather. Uh, I mean, that, that he um, had, in many ways, willed himself 
to survive, and not only to survive, but to succeed in ways that no one could have imagined. And it, and it, um, it and he did it. Right. And as a result, it, it left him in some ways almost impaired in terms of, 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 of giving absolute trust, unconditional trust, and trusting his future you know, to to someone else, even a yeah. even well, an expert, even a well. I mean, you know, and, and uh, uh, I think he had a lot of confidence in his own judgment, and I think justifiably so. Yeah. And you know, if it were relying on my advice versus his own advice, I think he'd probably wise to have taken his own counsel. Well, I, now I, there there were a few occasions where we. Uh, disagreed with his judgment, uh, and one that I remember uh, was uh, in in Tefra in in 1982. We had interest in dividend withholding was part of that package, and the bankers came and said we need an extra six months to uh, to get the systems and and Mark McConaughey at the Joint Committee was searching how oh, you got to give him the six months. Bob and I said. Don't delay this because it'll never go into effect. And and we got to the point of almost being insubordinate because uh, we were so irritated with uh, his unwillingness to listen to that. And then when the bankers launched this huge campaign against it, it was double bitter for us because we thought this is entirely avoidable. We gave him the time to uh, to do this. And it was a very dark period of time for him because he wanted to defend it, and and uh, and we fought it off, and bill after bill, and eventually he uh, had to give it up. And oh. But he he was very cranky during that period cranky. of time, and I think <laughs> cranky also because just by seeing us there, and particularly at that point, yeah. me, yeah. Uh, because Bob then had had left when when all of the the shit hit the fan on that uh, uh, was kind of a reminder that we told him exactly right. this was going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it would have I would have never said I told you so, but uh, you didn't have to. I didn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Let me go back because I just want to close this story. I'm, I'm out of sequence, but that's fine. In the '88 New Hampshire primary, because you know the legend is that uh, it was lost over the last weekend right. with Sununu and the tax ad and 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 all of that. Um, by primary day, what did you think was going to happen? I did, thought we were going to lose. You you were you you could yeah. sense yeah. With, I mean, and and Worthland told us the numbers had turned south. I was hoping we might still hold on. But I knew it was unraveling for us, and the, the over debate, the weekend, yeah, and the debate wasn't good. He had refused to sign the tax pledge at the debate. I'd gone out there, so it was, it was headed south on us. Uh, uh, we went out, uh, we went out uh, to the polling places to hand out stuff, and uh, we were really uh, way out organized by uh, at every polling place there was a local New Hampshire guy uh, 
and uh, that knew all the people. Hey, hi, Judy, really? and me. You know. And was that Sununu? That was Sununu. He really? put his whole he put his whole network in in place. Was uh, the, 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 the irony? Uh, the, the local guy then was replaced by uh, by uh, a senior person that headed up the New England campaign for Bush, uh, who ended up being the deputy chief of personnel. That's the irony is I go into the Bush administration. <laughs> There's the deputy chief. Oh, okay. The last time I saw yeah. him, I was handing <laughs> out dole material well, at, the, uh, at the polling place in Concord. What, was there an internal debate over signing that tax pledge? You know, I don't, uh, you know, th that had been discussed, and I think he had decided he wasn't going to do it. I think it was sort of sprung on him in that, so it wasn't like we were anticipating that. Uh, uh so, the the the. Uh, how 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 did you? I mean, what was his mood? I mean, was it a roller coaster? Yeah. From Iowa to the following Tuesday. I mean. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, I mean, because when when I first got up there, you know, we were just coming off of that, and he was, he was really high, but he was a workhorse. So I mean, you know, if things weren't going well, he still would go. Uh, do his appearances, but it, you know, it obviously turned south on him, and they uh, stopped lying about your record. And of course, I wasn't around him at that point. Uh, did I you went, did you see it? I mean, when yeah, it happened? I saw it, but I was in a bar. I had gone from the from the victory celebration, which I couldn't stand being there, and decided I was going to go off. I went off with somebody else. We were in a bar and watched that. And it was just a perfect coda on what was a disastrous evening. Did you ever hear him talk about it? I mean, was there a discussion? No, no, no I don't know. You know, I, then I it's went It's sort of home. the equivalent of Democrat wars. Yeah, I, w I went home and uh, and was kind of bummed out. <laughs> and, and then the next time, in 96, when we lost New Hampshire again, I vowed I'd never go back to New Hampshire to do a campaign. <laughs> But I hated did, New Hampshire. Did he feel snakebit at all in New Hampshire? Yeah. I mean, well, and, and then Bush lost in New Hampshire. You know, I, I just think New Hampshire is a horrible place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and, you know, I'll tell you, the first time I was up there, which was do the, Is there a perverse well, desire to humble, to humble the front runner? And the people are, are surly anyway. And, and the is that because they be, expect to be individually courted? Well, they're just New Englanders, number one, and so they're certainly <laughs> nasty people that. anyway. <laughs> and number two, they've been called a hundred times on the phone. So okay. if, you're, if you're assigned to the phones, you know, you're calling them and you're number 101, and they're right. nasty people anyway, and they've been called a hundred times, so they're extra nasty. You think so Joe I got trouble? to do that for a day or two, and, and Bob and I got a case of beer. And we were supposed to be assigned to the phones to call on people. And I remember Bob turned it to me and said, Rod, when's the last time you had six beers before noon? And I said, Bob, never in my life have I had six beers before noon. <laughs> that was the only thing that made calling people, cold calling people that were nasty on the phone. So, and then then we got the assignment of, uh, of actually uh, shadowing Bush figuring out what he was going to say, or what he was saying, and then coming up with a counter-strategy. 
So I went, after two days there, I went to every speech that Bush gave in New Hampshire. So I said, I probably, when I went to the Bush administration, I said, I think I've probably heard more Bush dump speeches than anybody in his campaign. Because we would, first we went to his hotel and would follow his entourage. Because we, and then we'd just physically follow it. And then Did they recognize at, you? Well, Bob knew he would be recognized, uh, so he would just drive the car. I would go in, and I got a pad that looked just like a reporter's pad. <laughs> and I would just take notes like right. I was a reporter. Yeah. Well, because we didn't know where these events were, we were just following the entourage. When they'd stop, we'd stop. After a while, we, we decided, you know, the Secret Service might think that we're some kind of weird oh. stalkers. Yeah. So that we would call in the morning and get the whole schedule. So that we could not really? just have to follow the entourage. We'd show up where we were supposed to. So but, but, but one of those occasions, they stop. I go in to see what this event is. Turns out it was a visit to the campaign headquarters. And all the people making signs and stuff. And I'm in the middle of this room. And he's going around to shake everybody's hand. And so everybody's going for him. I'm trying to step back and I'll get out of the way so I never have to shake hands and as if I'm some kind of reporter that's, uh, I'm some supporter that's been working on the campaign. Did so, Doe know you were doing this? Yeah, yeah I would, we would report to him. So you were basically, you were the opposition research? Yeah, on the field. And, and then we would, we would talk with him and the press and put out a counterstatement to something he said. So we had fairly okay. real time. So that was a lot better than calling these people on the poll. You know, on the well, poll. sure. Was it in New Hampshire or after? Remember the dust-up about Mrs. Dole's trust and um, yeah. uh, Dave, um, what's his name? Um, From you know, back in Kansas. Back um, in Kansas. Uh, yeah, I mean, that whole thing. And the Remember there was that kind of ugly scene in the Senate where Dole went up to the bush. Of, uh, I mean, does any of that ring a bell? Or? Yeah, but, I, I, you know, I, I think that we were involved with uh, sort of preparing some counter responses on that yeah. but uh you know those things sort of uh part of the problem there are things that happened in 88 and things that happened in 96 that roll together in my mind well days. sure uh would you say that but that i his was better dressed for the cold weather in 96 okay. having been there once i yeah uh, Figuratively as well as literally. Well, I mean, I ruined my favorite pair of shoes in 88 because it snowed and I had these uh, loafers. And they were never the same. And they were my favorite shoes. I'd had them for, for 10 years and had to throw them out. When I went in, in 96, I took real warm hunting boots. So when it snowed, I was ready. I looked like I was from New Hampshire. Was, was there a cultural disconnect? you think there's something about New Hampshire? I mean, all kidding aside, that that Dole found difficult or, or vice versa. I mean, there must have been a difference yeah, between I mean, Iowa yeah, and, and well, New Hampshire. Yeah, I mean, Iowa is, is more his people. Uh, New Hampshire was excessively conservative, you know, the the uh, the real hardcore. What the, 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 con the Republicans there tended to be very conservative. And right. he, you know, when you measure it on a scale, yeah. he was not as conservative right. as... And, and Bush found the same thing. I mean, yeah. it wasn't like right. it was just uh, a thing that the Dole snake bit twice. Uh, Bush found the same thing. So His attitude about George Bush, Bush 41, I mean, has it 
undergone an evolution? Oh, I, I think it clearly did. I mean, he was bitter about that, but then he came back and had to be majority leader yeah. and support Bush. And he supported Bush um, with, uh, with great... Uh, I mean, uh, the, even-handedness. You, I mean, you know, you know the, the he, great... he went out of his way. I mean, you know, he couldn't have been better for Bush. Right. Now, I agree now, with you. Now, but... of course, you know, Bush, you know, uh, buried the hatchet by putting Elizabeth in the cabinet. Yeah. You know, so uh, yeah. it's not that Bush didn't didn't uh, uh, reach out and, yeah. and, and Dole, you know, got over it. I mean, he's not a guy, right. you know, also, you know, being a tough guy, He's also a person that that lets go of stuff. He doesn't hold grudges. Does he does he? not hold grudges. Uh, so that that the the um, the old Saturday Night Live skits, the Dan right. Aykroyd skits, which I thought were funny because precisely because they they hit awfully close to home. Right, right. You know, right. the notion of 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 a cultural resentment. Mm-hmm. Economic and right. otherwise, I mean, was yeah, that I mean, palpable? You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he <clears throat> I mean, the Bush was uh, sort of a New England blue blood, and and Dole wasn't also, was, but passing himself off yeah, as a Texas Texas guy, you know. I want to go back on the finance committee, um, and particularly. Tell me about Dole's relationship with Russell Long. That was uh, that was fascinating, yeah. and 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 the finance committee uh, has had sort of a special history of bipartisanship that mm-hmm. that uh, that Dole nurtured with Long, but you know Grassley does today with uh, Bacchus and and. Uh, had it been that way when when Long was was chairman? Uh, Did you sense that? Uh, I that you was know obviously a history I worked there when uh, when Carl Curtis was there, but I had a sense that Long worked sort of along with Carl Curtis. Now, Long sort of was used to having his way. Yeah, but there were a lot of things that Long was interested in that uh, that the that Dole was interested in. I mean, Long, I think, liked people who had oil in their states because he cared about that. And he made care, he was careful to uh, find Democrats who cared about oil or who were sympathetic to his point of view. So you'd get a, a David Boren and a Lloyd Benson and mm. uh, uh, Sparky Matsunaga was always his guy. Really? Uh, uh, and so... You know, Dole, and he had a lot in common compared to the the few liberals that were on the on the committee, like uh, Gaylord Nelson. And tell and me about so, yeah the, the sort of so, the, the, so, the culture so, of the committee. So, I mean, in terms of yeah. ideological yeah, I mean, makeup. The, the, I mean, the ideological makeup, by and large, the the Democrats were a lot more conservative than the Democrats in the Senate as a whole, okay. and the Republicans. By and large, tended to be more moderate than the uh, Republicans hmm. in the Senate as a whole. A theory for you that? Have, you have Packwood, and you have 
uh, Danforth and Chafee and yeah. uh, Durenberger, you know. Uh, yeah. You have a theory? And why? I don't know quite why, whether, you know, just uh, good luck that it happened that way. And so there, there tended to be a lot of coalescing around the middle uh, between the sort of the somewhat more conservative Democrats and, and the Republicans. There were things that they absolutely disagreed on. The windfall profit tax was, was one of those where there was sort of combat over it and Long wanted to get it done and, uh, and Dole sort of led a long opposition to it, but not lay down and die opposition. It was sort of amendments and dragging it out. Delaying but, action? Yeah, but, yeah. But I, I was actually a little surprised when he voted no on the final package. I was actually grateful because then anybody that wrote letters complaining about it, we could say, geez, I voted against it. Yeah. Did, did you ever hear Long talk about his dad? Oh, yeah. And, and Long, <laughs> Long was, you know, in these conferences, uh, with the, uh, like on the crude oil windfall profit tax conference. The conference went on for months. Really? Uh, Take us and inside. And we were on the floor for months, but we would be sitting around often waiting for the house to send us a counteroffer, and we'd be sitting over in a conference room uh, at the joint committee or somewhere else, and Long would tell stories. He would tell stories about, more about his uncle because I, th I think he was fairly young when his dad was killed. Yeah, I think so. He was I mean, like I don't 14. think he he knew his dad. Yeah. Uh, as an adult in the height of his career. Cause, yeah. But he would tell great stories about uh, Uncle Earl uh, <laughs> and about his days as a young lawyer practicing. You know, for instance, he told a story about Uncle Earl in a campaign, and I think Russell Long was his campaign manager for for his his uncle. And he promised that uh, if he was elected, he was going to give uh, a $100 payment to, to every man and woman in the state of Louisiana. And they had a budget crisis, and Russell said, you know, how would we pay for that? And he said, look, Russell, he said, don't worry about it. If we're not elected, it's not a problem, and if we're elected, uh, we'll figure out how to do it. And so he gets elected, and the press are sort of saying, hey, you know, when are we going to get the $100 thing? You know, how are you going to pay for it? What's it going to do? You know, how how is this all going to work? And he goes in to see Earl and uh, says, you know, how are we going to do this uh, $100 thing? He said, ah, we're not going to do that. He says, well, what are we going to tell the press? He says, tell them I lied. <laughs> <laughs> now, presumably, Uncle Earl could get along with that and uh, away with that in that particular yeah, culture. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> I, I assume Russell wasn't suggesting that as a no, formula no. for national. Uh, you know, he had a million great expressions. Indeed, uh, he would talk about something being tighter than Dick's hat band. And I, I thought, what is that? I'd never heard that expression. I, I didn't know kind of whether it was slightly off color yeah. or or, yeah. or what it was. And so I went, and now I own actually a fairly big library of colloquial expressions. And when I'm looking at a new book to add to that collection, I always look 
for Dick's Hat Band to see <laughs> if they have that in there. And, and the sort of the origin of it was uh, a King Richard of England who apparently had a very small head and so tighter than a Dick's Hat Band was a very small. <laughs> but, but, you know, he had, he had many sort of expressions. He, he, would, he would always uh, say he was against any consortium he wasn't part of. <laughs> and and that would be yeah. Did Dole enjoy him? Oh yes, I think they liked each other, and and Long was a likable guy. Yeah, I mean he he uh, he uh, uh, was good natured. You know, uh, you know, he was long over the alcoholism that plagued him. Uh, Earlier, and I wasn't around to right. witness that. That probably was a sad period of his life. But yeah. he, he had gotten remarried to a lovely woman who, who uh, dried him out, and so yep. he was at. Had a, had a. Uh, was the Senate a forgiving body? About. Personal. Yeah, weaknesses I, I like it, that. I think, I think it was. Uh, I mean, you know. There was still a lot of drinking, probably more than there is now back in those days. You, you have a late night session, and they actually had late night sessions then. Uh, you know, the, the work ethic that, that prevailed at that time is not the work ethic of today. You know, they, they have more members that belong to the House of Representatives of the Senate now than any point in the Senate's history. And it, it, the sort of house uh, three-day-a-week or two-and-a-half-day-a-week work week uh, and no late nights has sort of infected the Senate. I think Lot brought some of that with him. Yeah. Uh, Dole was never a drinker, was he? No. No, he, he drinks wine and would have a little wine, but he's not a yeah. not a drinker. Uh, and and I, brought, I was telling you over in Sheila's office, uh, he was the... Uh, a guy who never swore, and of course I, you know, it's not like I uh, uh, hadn't hear, heard swear, swearing. But I grew up on military bases, so uh, this was a comfortable territory to me. But you know, we're traveling alone. He doesn't swear. You know, just one on one. You know, at no point. It just was not who he was. He he had sort of a very proper. Yeah, a Boy Scout. Yeah, a Boy Scout, and 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 to, and, and a sort of formality uh, in in substance. And he didn't like dirty jokes. He didn't tell dirty jokes. And I remember once he was doing an Alfalfa Club or one of those things, and some speechwriter had sent over a bunch of jokes, and he said, "I can't use this. this is all blue stuff." Yeah. He just didn't. He, right. he didn't like it. That wasn't him. Yep. And and it wasn't like an act. Right. You know, and yet, obviously, I mean, you know, Richard Nixon, I would have never imagined would swear, but when you read the transcript, that was one of the most shocking things to me. Right. That, uh, what, what he was like in. But in private. you're saying if they were dull tapes, they'd be exactly the same. That, that would be the same in private, same, yeah. as in public. Yeah. How did what did he learn from Russell Wong? I mean, did he? I mean, oh, uh, you know, he learned. Uh, a lot of the sort of the shrewd maneuvering that uh, you know Russell Long figured out. Uh, you know, there's a three-day rule when you file a bill, 
for people to read the conference report. If you don't file a conference report, there's no three-day rule. That's something he learned from Russell Long. So when we wanted to go right to the floor, we prepared a conference report, and we would issue it as a committee print, but it would not be a conference report. We'd go right to the floor. Uh, you know, and, and Long was a sort of a parliamentary master. He would round up votes. He had a, had a sort of shrewdness about him. And, and Horse trader. Yeah. And, and Dole was a guy who could trade with the best of them. Tell me about it. I mean, and, and illustrate he, how that might work. Well, and he also was constantly working people one-on-one. -on -one. I remember at the end of the session, we had a bunch of bills that the Finance Committee had uh, had reported out, and they were hung up at the end of the session that we wanted to get them done. And Dole would just go over there at the end of the session and stay on the floor when he was chairman, and he would work on one bill and call the people that had the holds and see if he could work out whatever, and uh, he'd either get it done or decide that was undoable. Then he'd move on to the next one and, uh, and, and get it done. But and what he, kinds of things uh, well, I mean, were required you know, to get it done? To, well, I mean, he would listen to what people's concerns were and then see if, uh, if you could draft, craft some language that would take care of their concerns and still allow the bill to move forward. He was constantly trying to sort of think, well, maybe if we did this or that. And he would, he would sort of try something. If it worked, he'd think about it. And uh, he was very clever in, in that sense of, of finding solutions to things. Uh, but that is, it's funny, because that goes to the heart of something. This notion that, I mean, it used to drive me crazy, particularly in the 96 campaign, when he kept talking about leadership, leadership, leadership. Which, I mean, you sort of know and I sort of know what he means by it, but he would never go the next step and 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 communicate it to a general audience in a way that people could get their arms around. Um, because my sense, at least, what he meant by leadership was getting things done, and getting things done meant this kind of right. unglamorous. Also just just reflecting that tremendous will that he had. You know that, and and. Uh, but it's detached from any, for better or worse, soaring agenda or vision or yeah, ideological. No, yeah, yeah, it wasn't that. Yeah, and it, it, and it wasn't soaring uh, rhetorical ability either. Yeah, because you know the floor speeches were humdrum. Uh, it just seems to me about a million times because I used to I'll go back and edit and I didn't realize, you know, of course, any of us, when we look at uh, sure. a transcript, realize we don't finish sentences and we don't yeah. uh, uh, it, it, Is this one reason why, you know, this notion that people don't elect legislators to the presidency and right. that even more in our own time, to the extent that the presidency has become largely an office about communications right. and about framing issues and persuading people, and in many ways a theatrical office. Those are not Dole's no, strengths. No, no, they aren't. But but his strengths are 
Okay. Yeah, is is uh, is getting things done, working them out, figuring out the ways to bridge people's uh, differences, figuring out uh, ways to accomplish uh, something that he wants to accomplish. I mean, the the, uh, the big. Uh, Reconciliation Bill, uh, which is called DEFRA in 1994, was one more reconciliation bill. And with a reconciliation bill, you can't it can't be filibustered, and you have an automatic germaneness rule. And the Democrats, because we had done reconciliation in 81, 82, you know, and so the, this is another one of these bills, and the Democrats were a little tired of uh, having this rigid thing that reduced the rights of minorities, and they sort of said, ah, you know, we don't like this, we haven't had enough time, and blah, blah, blah. you know, you only get 50 hours of debate. Dolson, on the floor, managing the bill, he said, fine, we'll do this in the regular order. And that meant, you know, unlimited amendments on any subject, and, uh, you know, Usually that would sort of doom the bill, but it was his will that he was going to keep people in late until we got through all the amendments and force people to do amendments, and it was it was a tour de force act of his his own will that but made that you know see, that is the office. I think I told you in Sheila's uh, office this conversation I had with Dan Rostenkowski, who uh, Clinton called before the ninety six. Uh, no, before the negotiations in, uh, in in 94 over the budget. Right. And Rostenkowski said, what a great guy he is, but I tell you, he's got no patience. He'll, he'll give you anything to get out of the room. And that dichotomy between this willingness to put himself, as well as everyone else, through this incredibly long, tedious process and the impatience... Which I think is a characteristic. Yeah. He did. Um, yeah. How do you explain? It, uh, I, you know, I think that there. He wanted something, something badly enough. Yeah. To, yeah. And and, and it, it, he can have both at the same time. I guess that 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 uh, he's a complicated uh, person. Were you in the the the, the meetings where presumably Clinton? Dole and Gingrich. I was not on. You the were not around then. Okay. I, I, I left and. Uh, okay. That must have been torture. Yeah. For him. I mean, what was he? What was he like in those that kind of setting? Um, you know, behind closed doors with his colleagues. Um, well, I'll I mean, tell you. I'll tell you uh, an interesting tour de force and talk about patience and. Uh, building something brick by brick. In 1985, he decided that we needed to do a big budget overhaul. And uh, we put together a budget bill on the floor that would cut, eliminated 18 programs and this very ambitious thing. And after it was all over, it, and we worked it out largely with Republicans. Where so was the White House in all of this? They were uh, a little standoffish, 
and uh, ultimately uh, sunk it for us, and so he was a little bitter about that. But uh, this was putting together a whole package of spending cuts and some tax increases, and uh, we had 43 meetings of the Republican members of the Senate. Really? In, largely in his office, and you know, we'd go through piece by piece and listen to people say, I can't have that, and uh, I remember we were doing something that affected Lowell Weicker's uh, interest in children or something that Weicker thought was an outrage, and, uh, and Stockman was a big player in this. He was, we really worked with Stockman, and then we put together a package and then we started building support among the, the Republican senators and, and sort of work through their problems until we had a package that they all could all vote for and then we passed it. But, but now when did Stockman leave? I thought he left in the first term after the... No, he was there for the this in 85 okay. and he may okay. have left the next year. Okay. Because he also was the one in 83 that worked out the Social Security rescue package. But in, uh, in one particular meeting, I remember Stockman was there, and he's talking. And Lowell Weicker, who is kind of a bully uh, and not a very admirable person in my judgment. but Pompous. Yeah. Uh, uh, Stockman is talking about this, and... Uh, Weicker attacks him verbally uh, and says, uh, you're full of shit. You have your head up your ass. And the Republican members are just kind of embarrassed. With the, you know, they're all sort of looking at their shoes. And Stockman, to his credit, sort of said, well, as difficult as it is to talk in that condition, that's <laughs> with your head up your ass. <laughs> Let me continue. <laughs> and that, but that that was. How did Dole get he, along with Waker? You know, I think he tolerated him. Yeah. Uh, you know, he he sort of got along with everybody. I don't think he was a uh, somebody he had great affection for. Right. But, I mean, how could you? Yeah. Waker was a was not a very good guy. I want to go back, before we wrap up, I want to go back to the, um, when you joined finance, what were the main issues, you know, that the Dole, at least, wanted on uh, center stage? Uh, balanced budget amendment. Okay. Tax indexing. Rate cuts. And was Long a natural ally on any of those? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was... Uh, and it's interesting, leading up to the election in uh, in 1980, because hmm. uh, I joined the staff in 79, and in 80, the Finance Committee actually put together with Long and uh, the Republicans and Benson a uh, tax package, which was a 10% rate cut plus uh, depreciation reform. Really? That was... The Finance Committee product, which Carter opposed, was actually, the Finance Committee bill was endorsed by Reagan, candidate Reagan. Really? And so that, that's a, that's a pretty remarkable thing. 
Doha, I mean, long was obsessed with welfare reform. Really? That, I mean, if there was one thing he cared about more than anything, it would be welfare reform. Yeah. And he was paranoid about uh, sort of some kind of big national income thing, like uh, uh, Nixon had proposed. That's right. Hated that. Yeah. And of course, Moynihan was the architect of that. Right. And so. Long's mission in life was to prevent Moynihan from getting that kind of goofiness. And so he was always looking to Republicans to be really? allies on that. Okay. And if there was one thing he cared about that, so that was one thing that that uh, that he cared mightily about. Was there a sense, obviously to some degree you were an outsider, but was there a sense at that point that, um, let's say Carter's congressional relations were less than... Uh, Oh yeah, it, it was the yeah it was. I mean, but Long was carrying out Carter's wish on the the, the windfall profit tax was the biggest piece of legislation we did during that period of time, and that that really consumed all of our time for uh, for more than a year. I mean, we were on the floor for literally more than a month, months. It's really, and and in a nutshell, that that was we what? filibustered it. I, I drafted literally thousands of amendments. I would do hundreds of amendments every day. Really? In fact, Bob and I would have a competition and say, okay, we're going to do, uh, we want to introduce, uh, you know, another 250 amendments. And then we would, we'd go through the bill and find something with a number in it, and then we would do variations of that number. You'd do those, you know, 10 of those. And, and why? And then why? you'd find something else. Because he was trying to slow down the bill it was part of our filibuster strategy. I mean, I wonder. What, now, what was it about the bill that was so offensive? It was, uh, you know, it was a very complicated uh, tax trying to capture uh, so-called windfall profits, but it was really an excise tax on oil. And okay. It, was, it turned out to be a disaster. And it turned out actually not to collect much money because it was predicated on on the fact that oil prices would rise forever. And actually, within three years, they dropped so that the tax collected almost nothing and they repealed it. It's just a curiosity, this strategy of, of sort of burying this thing with amendments. I assume that was something you had cleared with, discussed with, Dole? Oh, it was, I mean, part, was, of, it was his, part, of, part of his strategy? Yeah, he, he sort of said, hey, I want some amendments. So okay. we, we would come up with just reams of amendments. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was... It was a creative time to sort of figure out. Let's let's find. Let's do an amendment. And where was Russell Long in all this? He was trying to get the bill passed. He was the chairman trying to do it. So we were frustrating. Him. Notwithstanding his own states, I mean that's a fairly uh, yeah. I mean, given oil and gas and yeah, Louisiana. So, yeah. That, so I mean, it was despite that he was okay. He was pushing forward. He was being the good soldier party. Exactly. Okay. And at one point, I remember. Talk about congressional relations. Uh, there, was, there was interesting. The uh, the Treasury people, I mean the White House people, were promoting the idea of putting a very high tax rate, like a seventy percent or eighty percent tax rate, on old oil, on the windfall portion of old oil. And I remember they had Don Lubick, who was the Assistant Secretary of Tax Policy, and they'd. They'd gotten Chafee to join the Democrats to do this, and 
Gaylord Nelson is leaving, you know, and, and uh, uh, Chavey was going to offer this with some some Democrats, and uh, and they asked Lubick, "What do you think of this?" And he said, "Frankly, I think with a, anything with a high tax rate above fifty percent is is fundamentally unfair." <laughs> And of course, the White House has encouraged these people to do this, and then the Treasury guy basically <laughs> undercuts it. That was kind of a disaster. Did you have a sense of, uh, of Dole's relationship to the Carter White House? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it was a uh, polite adversarial. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. and fairly determined adversarial relationship. Because clearly he was. Well, I mean, I assume. Okay, clearly he was running for president. Yeah. So and, the, and and he was, you know, attacking. You know, we, we basically didn't agree on very much with Carter. Yeah. Let's let's conclude with with the eighty campaign, which is, I mean, yeah. you, you almost A little noticed. Well, I was well. I mean, and and is he sort of glossed over? Bob Lighthizer and I met a guy in uh, in eighty eight in New Hampshire. I was a lawyer up there in some town, and uh, and he said that he had. Worked for Dole in '80, which was pretty remarkable. And uh, we asked him about <laughs> he that. He said he voted for Dole yeah. in '80. Well, <laughs> that's the what he told us about. He said, you know, Dole's campaign was just doing disastrously. Uh, and this this lawyer told us that his son sort of said, "Are you going to actually vote for Dole? I mean, he has no chance." He said, "Why are you going to vote for Dole?" And this guy. Said, told us that he told his son and he says because if I don't he'll know <laughs> and literally you could probably look at the polling place and figure out hey I didn't even get <laughs> how were how you uh, pressed into any kind of service well, I mean, you know we were uh, we were not officially supposed to do anything but you know we uh, we obviously did a lot of background work and right. policy papers and, and stuff that, about what Dole was working on, the windfall profit tax or uh, I what mean, have you. Did you I sit did in go, on strategy? Did, I'll tell you, the, 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 this, the, this is a story uh, that I told at the unveiling of his portrait. I did go with him on a campaign fundraising trip to explain the windfall profit tax. The main, main reason he took me on was to, to explain the the, the the tax and he and I flew out uh, we spent the night in Houston and then we had a breakfast in Houston lunch in Dallas and uh, dinner in Tulsa to raise money for these oil people and my job was to explain how the tax works so Dole gives a little speech and then say my staff guy Rod DeArmond will explain the how the tax worked and I brought all of these charts to explain tier one, tier two, tertiary, how the base prices work and all of that. So I'm giving this uh, sort of very careful explanation of how this is all working. And I'm at the podium and big crowd there and I'm, you know, pointer and this and that. And Dole takes the, the program and, and writes something on it and slips it up in front of me on the podium when I'm trying to talk and I look at it. And I thought it said more detail. And I thought, God, this, I'm being very thorough, so then I sort of give some other explanation. Because his writing is illegible. Yeah, well, and, and, and uh, 
I finally get done and I sit down and I and I have and I'm looking at this thing and I realize that it said was move faster. <laughs> the move I read is more. Yeah. And 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 the, yeah. the tail, I just imagined because I thought more. The tail and and that. I told that story when when we had the portrait unveiling. It probably took him that long to laugh at it. <laughs> was it? I mean, there was a, a, a sort of comedy of errors. Well, I also didn't that know campaign. his handwriting that well, but, <laughs> but but you know, and 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 it was in that campaign that he he sued his campaign managers. You know, that was a whole disaster. So it was a. It was a star-crossed effort, and, and and of course he was in a grumpy mood during that time when things weren't going well, and that was, you know, I I, I never forget on New Hampshire primary day. Elizabeth was in the office, on the Watts line, calling voters, <laughs> and and I I thought to myself, this is symbolic. Of a campaign that was not meant to be, you know. <laughs> and but remember, you had New Hampshire, and um, she and he would double the vote. Well, <laughs> it was possible to do that. He, just calling on the phone, and he, and, and he wouldn't get out. Remember? Yeah. I mean, were you? Was this? I mean, obviously you're on the periphery of this, but there must have been and, discussions. You, you recognize and, that uh, at that point. Uh, we're still relatively junior. I mean, I think he's yeah. trusting us more, but uh, yeah. we're still politically viewed as not particularly useful. And where was Sheila in all of this? She was with the rest of us. Okay. She yeah. wasn't a part. I mean, you wasn't. No. Uh, no. Okay. You know, we, we would prepare any briefing papers that were needed. I didn't go up to New Hampshire at that time. I did take this trip, this fundraising trip with him. Um, but uh, by 88, you know, I did. Do, do you remember election night 80? I mean, he talked about, I guess, talking to Russell Long at some point when, I guess, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Republicans take the Senate. Yeah, I mean, uh, th that, was, that was an incredible night uh, because every close race broke our way. It's kind of like the reverse of what just yeah. happened. Every yeah. close race Broke their way, you know. So or eighty six, yeah, likewise. And and uh, and I, the, you know, Dole often tells this story about uh, the first time we had a finance committee vote, uh, where when they called Mr. Chairman, you know, they always do the chairman last, and so the the Mr. Chairman had long voted Mr. Chairman because he's so used to do it for fourteen years, waiting to vote. And so he cast his vote, and, and Dole said, Russell Long not only votes with the chairman, he votes for the chairman. <laughs> Is it a true story? Yeah. Really? I was there when it happened. Force yeah. of habit. Yeah. Yeah, because it, uh, uh, but Dole sort of. Made it into a. Yeah, made it, yeah. Uh, you know, and took it in great right. humor. And uh, I, I, One last thing, and then we'll, 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 next time we'll talk about the Reagan years and beyond. Um this issue about, you know, Dole seems always to have been comfortable working with, almost surrounded by women, including strong women. Right. Uh, and obviously she was an example of that. Joanne was an example of that. Um, did, 
any ideas where that came from? No, or, uh, I don't know, but he, he, his mother. Yeah, maybe think, that his uh, mother was that way. But he he, he seemed to, to have no hang-ups. No, about. Uh, no, he he always was uh, pretty open in that. I, you know, we. The finance committee, when I became the staff director, I kind of looked at it and I realized that we had, on the social welfare side, all women on really? the staff. Really? On the tax side, all men. Really? So I thought, that's not so good. Uh, so I set out to recruit a woman tax lawyer. And I went to the normal resumes and I looked at it and I didn't think that any of the resumes were up to the standard that we needed so I called one of the partners here the tax partner here and said do you have any good young women tax lawyers no I can't think of anybody they tell yeah. me they obviously didn't want to let go of any yeah. of their people <laughs> and then uh, a week or two later I ran into a, a young uh, woman tax lawyer who was just leaving Covington I said I'm you know it's too bad you're taking another job I think she was going to Pal Goldstein, and I said, uh, you know, could you recommend somebody? Yeah. And uh, he said, yeah, you know, there, there are three or four great people, you know, Anne Moran, you know, gave me the name, so Anne Moran was the first name she gave me, so I called Anne Moran, who was here. She said, yeah, I'd love to come. Really? So I hired her. Huh. And that was the first woman tax staffer. And now, probably m the majority of women are uh, tax staffers are women, and there's a whole women and group of lobbyists, tax lobbyists who are women. Yeah. You know, probably yeah, at least half of the tax lobbyists are women. Yeah. And and on the on the social welfare side, we hired Ed Mahalski out of the GAO, so we actually had a man on. On that side, did, okay. Uh, healthcare spending. Last thing, just to round this out. Again, the major sort of policy issues coming before the finance committee. Major legislative areas would be. Well, in 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 the seventy nine eighty, I mean, and tax. The major thing was the windfall profit tax, but we were we were pushing tax indexing, tax cuts, uh, uh, balanced budget. Uh, then what uh, about? But in terms of like health issues, I mean, health, what, what other? Uh, you know, kind of generically, what is yeah. the what is the finance committee's domain? Oh, we what what does it cover? I mean, the, yeah, the finance sure. committee. Is responsible for half at that point, half of the federal spending, and raised all the revenue. So at that time, we had revenue sharing, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, uh, uh, unemployment compensation trust funds, uh, and then all of the the taxation and all of the trust funds as trust funds. Like the highway trust fund, or so it's a huge portfolio. Super fund. Yeah, so it's it's, you know, it's an immense. Were there work? Were there? Were there? And the debt debt limit, and were there? Because I'm wondering who asks to be on the finance committee. There obviously were workhorses. Were there also show horses? 
Sure. On the finance committee. I mean, you know, there, you know, there are people that that like the press. Okay. I mean, I think of uh, John Hines, bit of a show horse. Yeah. I mean, not that he wasn't a hardworking guy. I mean, okay. You know, but uh, they, uh, you know, you have to make a choice uh, because there are some committees that are exclusive. Called the Super A committees or whatever. So, right. if you're going to be on appropriations, you can't be on finance. Okay. Uh, and the, it was appropriations, finance, uh, government, uh, foreign affairs, or whatever the hell they call that. Uh, but for example, Dole. And armed services. And so, uh, people generally chose to be there. They were people that had an interest in health care or taxes. They tended to be, a lot of them, there were a lot of really rich people on that committee. Mm. Uh, Long, Benson, mm. you know, Danforth, who was the wealthiest guy in the Senate, Chafee, who was not a slouch. Uh, um, and then there were a lot of people who were relatively poor, like Dole and Packwood. And I don't think Moynihan was particularly well off. Do you think it's fair to say that Dole is at least a little bit of a populist? Oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, that's, he knew where he came from, and he never never lost that. Uh, and and it had an innate sense of, I mean, it came in tax policy. I mean, he had a sense of fairness. I mean, he wasn't impractical about it, but. Uh, the, whole, the famous line about Gucci, yeah, Gulch or whatever. I mean, that is a bit of an expression of that, yeah. isn't it? Or, I mean, yeah, he, I mean and he put it in the context of a joke, but yeah, behind yeah, but, the joke was but, this but thing. There, there's, there, you know, he and and how he approached issues when you you would, you know, have a sort of a case of first impression, think something that he hadn't thought about before. He would, you know, as you watched how he attacked it, he had that sort of sense of fairness and. And you know the the uh, um, effort to to do better in compliance, where people actually have to pay their taxes, right. or, or shutting down tax loopholes or right. whatever, he was he was willing to do because there was a sense of of fairness about the system. That but for example, to, I don't. He was never food stamps, or you know, on the other side of yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think he genuinely cared about those. So kinds nutrition of issues. issues would yeah, uh, yeah, would be yeah. part of this as well. Yeah. I mean, I mean, such a grab bag. Yeah. You know, finance. For, for, I mean, well, like, but food, food stamps wasn't part of our jurisdiction. That was the agriculture. agriculture. Committee. Okay. All right. But but I'm, I'm just trying to illustrate. Yeah. His his sort of populist. I mean, but he's not a impractical about these right. things. Yeah. Well, and he's a, he's a, he's a smiling populist. He's not yeah. an angry, yeah. resentful, yeah. Yeah. gouging populist. The I mean, he was never on judiciary. No, he was on judiciary. Was he on judiciary? He was on the same time that he was on finance. Oh, he was okay. And Sheila Bear worked for him. Uh, Veldy, okay. okay. Pete Veldy, and he was on ag. Yep. But not foreign affairs. Not foreign affairs because he couldn't be on both. Oh, okay. Foreign affairs was uh, it wasn't that he exclusive. was uninterested. It's that he was precluded. Yeah, he was by precluded. The rules. Okay. 
This has been great. Um, it's a, a more than a great start. Okay. I mean, well, thank you. Yeah. And roughly chronological. I hope that. Yeah. Yeah.